This is America on Par, a powerful punch of political punditry in a pithy podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Parr. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking in. It has been a wild week in the world of politics. Sanders beat Clinton in Indiana. That was unexpected. Cruz and Kasich dropped out of the race. That was also unexpected. And Trump is now the presumptive GOP nominee. And that, as of just a few months ago, was unthinkable by so many political experts and insiders. But was all of this really unexpected, or were there signs that it was all coming? See, I once again think a lot of what has happened can be explained by math, primary math. If you listen to my two previous podcasts on primary math, you'll recall my main point was that it was already too little, too late to stop Trump. I first said this, by the way, two months ago before Super Tuesday. I said Cruz was winning in flyover country and Trump was winning everywhere else and that Kasich wasn't winning anywhere outside of Ohio. Adding up the totals, even with very conservative estimates of Trump's margin of victory, meant that if Trump simply overperformed in a few states, it was over. I think Cruz had done the same calculations and that explains a lot about his behavior over the last two weeks. And see, Cruz had done some very odd things <laughs> just as we were wrapping up Indiana. He, he got into a seven-minute long debate with a Trump supporter. Now, I admire him for being willing to talk to someone who clearly opposed Cruz's candidacy. And Cruz came out looking better than the supporter did in that exchange. But so what? It was a rather risky move politicians running for president just don't do. He named Carly Fiorina as his VP pick, a nomination that was completely meaningless since Cruz was already mathematically eliminated from winning the nomination before the convention. That means his VP pick would be named by the delegates at the convention if he did get the presidential nod. So it wasn't up to him anyway. It's a move that had never been done in American politics before and probably for good reason. And with all that, he made a deal with John Kasich. Kasich wouldn't run in Indiana, his neighboring state, and Cruz wouldn't run in Oregon or in New Mexico, his neighboring state. Now, when the deal came out, I thought it was very odd. It struck me like uh, the kind of a deal you see in an NFL draft. Kasich gave up a first-round draft pick for a second- and third-round pick. But why would Cruz give up New Mexico? He was tied with Trump there. And Kasich doesn't stand a chance of winning in New Mexico. Why make that deal? The answer is math. Cruz knew he couldn't win on a first ballot. His only hope was to win on a second ballot, convincing Trump delegates to switch to him after their first round obligations were over. If, if Cruz didn't win on a second or third ballot, then he wasn't going to win. He wasn't going to win on a first ballot. If he didn't win on the second, third, he was never going to win. Those votes would then shift away from him, and Kasich was counting on winning on a fourth or fifth or sixth ballot. But all of that meant he had to prevent Trump from getting to 1237 before the convention. And that meant he had to win Indiana. 
If Cruz didn't win Indiana, there would be no point in winning Oregon or New Mexico. Didn't matter. That's why Cruz made the deal. It's why he made desperate moves like naming Fiorina his VP BFF. When you look at Cruz's actions from that perspective, at his behavior these last two weeks, it makes a little more sense. They still weren't the correct actions, but as I stated in the previous two podcasts on primary math, I don't think there was anything Cruz could have done at that point because it's all just too little, too late. Now, I said this was basically over, that Trump was going to win back on March 10th. I don't know of any national pundit who said Trump would win that early. Most of them seem surprised that Cruz dropped out on Tuesday night. I only bring this up as a word of caution. The national media and the national pundits didn't make an accurate prediction even two months out. They are now making statements about the general election in the fall, which is still six months away. Do you think, do you have more faith in their forecast six months from now than you did in their forecast two months ago? Predicting the future is easy. Correctly predicting the future is hard. One of the reasons why forecasts and predictions often miss the mark is because the number of variables involved. You hear pundits say Trump is going to lose this election because he has alienated Hispanics. If he doesn't match George W. Bush's total of 40% of the Hispanic vote, then Trump will lose. Well, maybe, maybe not. That's just one variable. You'll hear pundits say Trump is going to win because in the fall, there's no way Hillary can reproduce Barack Obama's turnout among blacks. Black voters won't be energized to support a cranky old white woman like they were for a charismatic young black man. Again, maybe, maybe not. If you look at the computer models based on past elections and economic factors like Nate Silver does, you'll see that in this election cycle, the models say a Republican should win. But I think we've all learned that this year is not a normal election cycle. Correct predictions are hard to make because there's so many variables involved. Does Trump's strength with blue-collar voters make up for his weakness with Hispanics? What's more is that those variables aren't linear. Things in nature and in politics don't move in a straight line. There are bends and curves. It's so much easier to forecast a straight line than it is a curve because the curves are always changing. But predicting something will continue in the future the exact same way it was in the past, will make you wrong a lot more often than not. That said, there are two predictions I'm willing to make at this point. The first is that if the Libertarian Party nominates former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson, they will earn more votes for president than ever before. That number, by the way, is 1,276,000 votes. That's what Johnson had in 2012. And it represented about 1% of the vote total. I don't think they'll get as many votes as Ross Perot did in 1996, which was over 8 million votes. But they could get as many as Nader did in 2000, which was just over 2 million votes. My second prediction is that Pennsylvania is going to be critical. If Hillary wins Pennsylvania, I think she wins the election. If Trump wins Pennsylvania, 
then I think he will win the election. Pennsylvania hasn't voted for a Republican since George H.W. Bush in 1992, but it was very close in 2004. In this year's primary, Hillary got 918,000 votes on the Democrat side. Trump got 893,000 votes on the Republican side. If Trump's blue-collar populist message works in Pennsylvania, especially in the suburbs, and he's able to get some penetration into the urban areas, then he wins. If his personality and his mouth are repugnant to those voters and they decide to sit home, or worse, vote for Hillary, then she wins. This race will be his message versus her machine. Whichever one is more effective will win Pennsylvania, and thus 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue as well. Well, thanks for listening. If you like these podcasts, please share them with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. If you'd like to leave a comment, you can always do so on my website, americaonpar.com. I'm Stephen Parr, and I can still see old glory flying over me. In the first light of